If you will, open your Bibles, if you uh, have one with you, uh, to Mark chapter 5. Uh, the beginning of that, um, uh, of that chapter is where we'll start. It's obviously in your bulletin as well, our text for this morning. Uh, in sports, one thing, that, um, one thing that separates the elite players from the average ones is the ability of the elite players to, um, to thrive under pressure. Okay, so five points down, two minutes to go. Um, for the elite players, it's as if the game slows down for them. You hear, you know, people like you know LeBron or uh, you know anyone else who's uh, you know Tom Brady or that kind of that kind of an athlete. You hear them say that over and over again. It's as if the game slows down for them in those moments of pressure when there's chaos all around them. There's calm. Uh, I'm told the same thing is true for, um, for good leaders in war, that those sergeants and those lieutenants that are worth their weight um, in battle, the sort of leaders that soldiers are going to follow uh, into, a, into a battle, uh, are those who are relatively calm when the bullets are flying. A really good example of this that I think some of you will be able to, to relate to or picture is, is from the, the series, the HBO series that's now, what, 10 or 15 years old, Band of Brothers. But if you've seen that series, uh, and, and toward the latter, the latter half of that series, um, there's, the, uh, there's the scene during the Battle of the Bulge when, they're, when they have the, the Battle of Foy. They're trying to take a, a, a city, a, a small town called Foy. And if you've seen it, you remember then that Lieutenant Dyke simply could not handle the pressure of, of battle at that moment. And he, he literally froze. He, he just, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't think. He couldn't move. Uh, but for Lieutenant Spears, the, the, the movie does a really good job of showing you how, in some ways, the battle slowed down for a guy like Lieutenant Spears. He was able to thrive under that pressure. Uh, so with chaos all around, there was calm. Okay. This morning, we're going to study an encounter that Jesus has with a man whose life is utter and complete chaos. And yet, into the chaos of this man's life, Jesus brings calm. And this man, we'll see, this man's life is never the same as a result of this encounter with Jesus. Now, so this is our overriding theme then. Uh, this morning, as we look at this passage, this idea of Jesus bringing calm uh, into chaos. And I want you to appreciate that it's, it's no less true of us today, because some of our lives, our own lives here, are, are very chaotic. And I don't mean they're chaotic sort of externally, with running children from you know, event to event throughout Spartanburg, or um, that our lives are chaotic because of just a, a deadline at school or with work. Or, um, you know, our retirement fund, we're getting closer and closer to retirement, and our retirement fund isn't what we thought it was going to be. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking more about this sort of internal chaos that some of us experience from real hurt and real fear and real anxiety and real sin and real shame. Sort of the world's brokenness has fallen squarely on our shoulders, and at times it feels like it is a burden that's just too great for us to handle. Okay? And we feel this sort of inner chaos. Okay? Today, it's even into that sort of chaos that Jesus can bring calm. 
Okay, as we look at this passage. Again, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read the first uh, 20 verses of Mark 5. And this is God's Word, and it's our rule for faith and for life. Mark 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with the chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he, that is Jesus, gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask his blessing. Our God, we do come to you this morning. Many of us with our own sort of inner turmoil and chaos. And uh, Lord, we would pray um, that as we open your word together now, that we would delight in this word and that we, as we meditate upon it together. For we know the promise, uh, the promise of Psalm 1, that those who delight in and meditate upon your word, that they're going to be like trees planted by streams of water. And so that would be our prayer this morning indeed, that we would delight in your word as we meditate upon it now. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so our passage begins with Jesus and the disciples, and they are, uh, they are sailing across the Sea of Galilee uh, to the Gentile country uh, of the Gerasenes. Now, if you look back at the, at the end of chapter 4, you'd notice actually that the trip began on, on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee, okay? And then along the way, so they're they're on the west coast, they're sailing to the east coast, and along the way, this storm hits, and the boat threatens to sink. 
Now, Jesus is asleep in the stern. His disciples wake him up, say, look what's going on around us, as if he, they needed to be, or he needed to be told about that. And, and Jesus calms the sea with just the words, peace, be still. Okay? So into this chaos of this moment, of this storm, Jesus brings calm, literal calm, okay, to the sea and to the waves. And you can picture the disciples' responses. Imagine what they had just experienced, this, this, this uproar, this chaos, this storm. And with simple words, Jesus brings calm into the chaos. And you can imagine what just happened. The wind, the sea, obey this man. Okay? It's not a coincidence then that directly following this story, this account, okay, they sail to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, right? And there they meet a man whose life is chaos, whose life really and truly is a storm. Okay? Maybe, um, maybe you're from a hometown that, like mine where there's, there's no real political way, to, politically correct way to say this, so I'm just going to say this. And you can judge me, but my hometown had, had sort of a, a resident crazy man, uh, and, and maybe your hometown might have had a, a, a resident crazy person. Uh, you know, the, the townspeople sort of give him a name, you know, something like, you know, Crazy Joe, something like that, Right? And um, my wife, uh, telling this story to my wife, she said, yeah, we, where I grew up, we had one. His name was Koopy Jack. Um, uh, you know, so that kind of man is the man that's in your town that, that no one really wants to deal with. To, you know, to their discredit, to all of our discredit. No one wants to deal with him. And if you're walking down the sidewalk, the same sidewalk, maybe he's coming this way, you're going that way. You know, if you're with your mom, your mom has sort of nonchalantly grabbed your hand tightly and maybe ducked into a store or, you know, whispered for you not to say anything to him or, the, or that kind of thing, okay? Well, in some ways, that's our man in, in this text, okay? He's the crazy Joe um, that, that, you know, your mom kept you away from uh, when you were young. And in some ways... Uh, it, you know, it's really hard to blame the people for feeling the way that they felt about this man in our text. I mean, look at his life, okay? He's demon-possessed, which is never a good start, okay? And then he lives in a graveyard. Um, you know, especially if you're a parent, I don't think you'd necessarily be eager to send your child over to the, the family that lives in the graveyard or to the single guy that lives in the graveyard, right? So this is strike two. It reminds me, when I worked, um, I worked for RUF for a number of years, one of the places where I worked was at Virginia Tech. I had some guys who lived in an apartment, that, or not an apartment, in a house uh, that they affectionately called the barrel, as in the bottom of the barrel. In fact, the barrel doesn't exist anymore. Um, uh, it, it's been demolished. And I, uh, I went to the barrel a few times, and it was really hard to argue with the nickname, okay? that it was the bottom of the barrel. Um, but still, it wasn't a graveyard, okay? It, it wasn't a graveyard, which would be even, you know, uh, farther down on the ladder. And now, at some point in the past, this man, he's been restrained with chains, okay? So, uh, you know, demon possession, graveyard, he's been restrained with chains. Those aren't even seeming to work anymore, presumably because of this 
superhuman, you know, sort of demon possession. And so dehumanized is this man that he lives in complete isolation from people. He's probably naked. Day and night, he's running around, he's screaming, he's beating and cutting himself with stones. This man is a real-life Frankenstein. He's a real-life hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, This is our hometown Crazy Joe, you know, even amped up a a good bit. Amazingly, though, Jesus has come to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to meet this man. He's come to Gentile country, the sort of place that good Jews simply did not go. And he came to encounter this man, a man, again, whose life is utter and complete chaos. Now... Given all this, I want us to take, uh, take a step back for a moment and appreciate what this says to us about the gospel and about the sort of people that Jesus came to save. It's not always for the beautiful, and it's not always for the, the reputable. It's not always for those that we're comfortable to be around. Okay, And this is the first point. No, he came, he came for all sorts of people. Jesus came for all sorts of people. His mission is for all who are weary and heavy laden. Certainly this man was both. Regardless of likability, regardless of what side of the the tracks or the sea, you might say, uh, where they live. Okay. So today, whether you can relate to this man in feeling maybe isolated or feeling dehumanized by your own sort of fallenness, or whether you can maybe relate to those who wondered why Jesus was bothering spending his time with someone like this. Either way, I want you to take a step back and appreciate uh, the gospel's mission from what we see here. It's not only for those, uh, it's not just simply to reach those that we often think. Jesus casts a much, much wider net uh, in in the gospel. It's for all sorts. And it should be true of the church as as well. So so when you think of yourself, maybe along the lines of this man, in terms of being beyond the reach of someone like Jesus because of the skeletons in your closet, or when you turn maybe your nose up to others, Uh, thinking that maybe they're beyond the reach of Jesus because of their brokenness. When you don't allow the gospel to reach into your life or the lives of of others, then you're missing Jesus' mission entirely. And I want you at those moments to think of this man. When you're thinking about yourself in your own sort of isolation and, and dehumanization, or you're thinking about someone else who might who might, uh, do you think, be beyond the reach of Jesus, I want you to think of this man, okay? Jesus specifically came to a man that no one would have anything to do with. No one would have anything to do with this man. And, And really, again, let's be honest, it's hard to blame them. I mean, demons, chains, graveyard, you know, nakedness, uh, stones, cutting himself. This man's life is chaos. And yet Jesus spoke 
the calm of the gospel to him in the midst of his chaos. And it's because Jesus came for all sorts. He came for all sorts of people. Our first point. Moving on now. Um, 20 and, and, uh, and sort of probably now 30-somethings often say that something will change your life. Maybe you've heard that expression before. Uh, maybe a, a musician or a food uh, or a new sort of hangout or, uh, you know, some book. And, and when uh, 20, 20 and 30-somethings want to give sort of a ringing endorsement of that thing, they'll, they'll say the term, it'll change your life. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that before, Okay. Of course, it's an exaggeration. But in this case here, we really see that Jesus can change your life. Okay? We see it here very, very clearly. This, admittedly, this really sort of bizarre moment, this bizarre scene in this, in this uh, account is, is Jesus showing his authority and he gives these demons permission to leave this man and, and they enter this herd of pigs uh, and, and the pigs, in turn, rush down the bank and they drown themselves in, in, the, uh, in the sea. And no wonder it says in verse 14, the herdsmen fled. I mean, if we were all there, we would have been gone too. We would have all fled as well. Okay? It's a really, this is, you know, really a bizarre moment in the text. Okay? And as good as that scene is, it's kind of like the, you know, the car chase scene in, this, in, this, in the movie, if you will, of this, uh, of this uh, account, Right? It's really not the best part, I don't think, of the story, seeing the pigs go down like that. The best part to me is verses 14 and 15. I want to read those again. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. So word spreads about what just happened. Verse 15, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I want you to let those words sink in for a moment. You almost have to say it aloud. Clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right mind. Through the mercy and through the power of Jesus, the utter chaos, the utter storm of this man's life this demon-possessed man who lived naked in a graveyard, screamed and beat himself and cut himself with stones when he wasn't chained. Through Jesus, the chaos of this man's life becomes calm. He's clothed and he's in his right mind. He's no longer isolated. He's no longer dehumanized. He's clothed and in his right mind. Chaos has become calm. Crazy Joe, he's just become Joe. To the glory of God. This is what Jesus does. He makes, he, he's out to reach all sorts of people and he's out to reach those people and make them human again. That's the second point I want to make. That he makes us human again. In the fullest sense of the term. He makes us who we were intended to be. Reminds me of a line from a, a, an Avett Brothers song, The Perfect Space, if you know that song. 
Uh, it's a song about, uh, about maturing. It's about a song about becoming comfortable in your own skin. And there's a, a great line, the refrain in the song, um, I, I want to fit into the perf- I want to fit into the perfect space. Feel natural and safe in a volatile place. Okay, for the first time in this man's life, he's fit into into that perfect space. Through the power of Jesus, he feels natural and safe in a volatile place like the world. This is part of what Jesus came to do as He comes to undo the fall in the lives of all sorts of people. He's come to make us human again. But what does that mean exactly? Okay, that it sounds nice. He came to make us human again. What does that mean? I I think our text shows us two things. So maybe if you're keeping an outline of sorts, think of this as two sub-points. That we relate to Jesus differently and we relate to people differently. What does it mean that, that, uh, that he makes us human again? Well, we relate to Jesus differently and we relate to people differently. First, it means, it, first, in his making us human again, it means uh, that we relate to Jesus differently. Where this man began in the story in relation to Jesus and where he ended are two different you know, universes. Jesus frees this man from his bondage and he sits before Jesus clothed and in his right mind. He he begins as an adversary and he ends as a disciple. Two complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And now I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure that this man really knew all the ins and the outs of how Jesus was going to make him human again. Okay? But in verses 15, and if you look at verses 15 and 18, there we surely see a man, a man of faith, who is in the early stages of being made human again. And, and I bet that there are a handful of you here that, that feel some of the chaos of this man's life. You know very well the sort of isolation, the sort of abuse, the sort of fear, the sort of deep sadness that can actually rob you of your humanity. Life has taken that sort of toll on you. And as much as you might have heard about Jesus in the past, you've never thought that He really could relate very much to someone like you. The hurt's too deep. The, 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 um, the pain is too intense. The fear is too scary. The addiction is entirely too strong. Okay. Well, this passage, I think, should strike a chord somewhere deep inside you because we see that Jesus has the power to make you human again, to begin that process of, of changing you from within and making you human again as you relate to him differently. Like this man, you're not, you, you don't necessarily, you could sit here in these chairs and not necessarily understand all the ins and outs of how he can do that. Okay? How he can f- fix the addiction. How he can fix the sadness or the, the, the fear. But he can when you come to him in faith. Again, not understanding how, how he might do it. But knowing that he has the power, even though you, you maybe, maybe aren't able to appreciate that right at this instant. Okay. 
But I want you to appreciate that it's not just for those also who deeply, deeply hurt, okay? This text doesn't just apply to those of you who are in this sort of, you know, maybe in this more extreme hurt and isolation, okay? It's for everyone. Apart from Him, you see, we're all in need of relating to Jesus differently, of being put in our right mind by the gospel. Every single one of us are in need of that. You see, in some way, what's going on here is a, is a dramatic illustration of a spiritual, a dramatic spiritual reality for us all, that we all need to be made right with the one who, is, uh, who has made us, but sin has caused a rift between us. Right? That's what the Bible says, that we're not right with God, uh, with the very God who made us. We need Jesus then to speak into the chaos of our, or the storm of our, of our spiritual brokenness and, and for Him to bring calm into that brokenness. And when He does so through faith, we, we all can relate to Him differently. I trust most of us in here fall under that category where we do relate to Him differently because He has come into our lives and change the chaos, that sort of inner spiritual chaos that is the result of the fall. And so as a result, he's no longer an expletive to us. He's no longer a myth. He's no longer an, an afterthought. But rather, he's a source of deep, deep change in our lives as he's making us human again through his spirit. Okay. Now, as we, uh, as we look back at the text, when Jesus puts this man in his right mind and, and he puts him back on the track of his humanity as a result of him relating to Jesus differently, okay, I want you to notice how he also begins to relate to people differently. Okay? He's relating to Jesus differently, but there's something else to his being made human again. He now relates to people around him differently. Whereas when we first meet this man and he's isolated in the graveyard, when Jesus arrived on the scene, okay, that's no longer the case as we close the text. Though he wanted very desperately to be with Jesus. He begs Jesus that he, that he might be able to go with him. But because he's relating to Jesus differently, Jesus wants him now to relate to people differently as well. It was part of the healing process for him in, in, in his humanity being restored. Jesus tells him to stay there, verse 19, right? He tells him to stay there and to be a witness in the land. Verse 20 shows us that that's exactly what the man did. He put himself around people. He's no longer naked and in a graveyard. He is clothed and he's, he's to be around people. He told people what the Lord had done for him. You know, Jesus had... If Jesus had clothed this man, put him in his right mind, and the story ends with him just there in the graveyard, kind of, you know, sitting on a rock, getting ready to, you know, to make lunch, it would seem like the story's incomplete in some way. I think we all very naturally understand that the, the event would be unfinished if that's where it ended. Part of this man having his humanity restored was him uh, relating to people differently. Even the very people who had chained him in the past. This was part of the process. And this is helpful for us. You know, I think, I hear so many Christians, and we've all heard Christians, or we've spoken ourselves as Christians, how uh, we can be frustrated that, that our friendships at times aren't very deep. 
And there are sort of the unwritten acceptable topic of conversation of, of sports or, or weather or, you know, our busyness. Um, okay, but to go any deeper in our lives, it, it feels at times just, just odd. It doesn't feel particularly natural. It feels taboo. Meanwhile, we're all longing for something more. Okay? But one of the reasons Jesus has brought you to Himself, if you're a Christian, is so that you might have true communion with others, sharing each other's joys, sharing each other's sorrows, sharing each other's burdens, as you're confident of God's acceptance of you in Christ. For the first time in a long, long time, this man knew what it was to rub shoulders with people who weren't trying to chain him. Jesus had changed this man's entire identity and confident of who he was now in Jesus. He wasn't threatened by people any longer. He went among the Decapolis and he shared what Jesus had done for him. And people marveled at what had happened. Because he, was relating to, because he was relating to Jesus and people differently. Okay, and we all need this sort of intimacy with one another. But, you know, someone's going to have to make the first step, and it might as well as be you. You know, some of you are going to have to, you know, confident of who you are in Jesus, some of you need to say to that friend that you have known for years, but there's a certain maybe barrier between your relationship. You know, it might take you saying to that person, my heart is full of anxiety about this issue in my life, I need you to pray for me. Confident that, that Jesus loves you and you are in Him. You know, some of you need to go and, and talk to that person that's isolated. At church, at Wofford, at work. Even though maybe that person looks differently or, or comes from a different you know, side of town. Some of you maybe, you know, need to just simply like join a small group study or something along those lines just to give you opportunity to get to know others because you isolate yourself. Some of you need to, to knock on that neighbor's door. Believing in the gospel and its call to all types of people, some of you need to be willing to be friends with someone who maybe, be, who maybe doesn't look just like you or act like you or come from your sort of normal group of, of uh of friends. You see, when Jesus clothes us and puts us in our right minds as Christian, He does so not only to put us right with Him, but to put us right with each other as well. And admittedly, relationships like that don't happen easily. It requires effort. It requires vulnerability. But it's part of the gospel. I'm sure it took quite a bit of work for this man to be accepted by people. After all, this was, this was crazy Joe. They had tried to chain him. But he knew that Je what Jesus had done for him. And having related to Jesus differently, he related to people differently now too. So he was willing to put himself in a position of vulnerability. This is what he needed to do because Jesus was making him human again. A few years ago, I heard this uh, radio program. I think it was on This American Life, if you know that, um, know that program. Um, but it, it was highlighting this program called Prison Performing Arts. 
And uh, Prison Performing Arts is a performing arts program for incarcerated adults and even um, teenagers. And in this particular radio program, they were tracking in a Missouri prison a six-month program, uh, a six-month rehearsal and performance of Hamlet. Okay, so for six months, they're in this Missouri prison, and, they're, and they are uh, getting the prisoners uh, to participate, to rehearse, and eventually perform Hamlet. And it was really fascinating to hear... Um, to hear how these, these, uh, these men could relate to, um, they've been convicted of violent crimes, uh, and how they really could relate to a, a play like Hamlet. Uh, as fascinating as that was, what to me was really fascinating is it was actually hearing how the, the rehearsal and the performance affected them personally. Okay? There was one guy, he's asked by the interviewer, what makes you keep coming back? Because there was the woman in charge was this sort of this tough, uh, uh, tiny woman who was just a, a bit of a bulldog uh, for these men, and, and and you know, and so the interviewer asks, you know, what makes you keep coming back uh, to this uh, to you know hear this woman sort of you know order you around, and his his reply was really profound, and he simply said, she makes us feel human. Okay? She makes us feel human. For these prisoners, once a week for two and a half hours, there were no strip searches, uh, there was no violence, there was no fear. For them, it was an escape, and it it was a taste of their humanity once again. When Jesus came, he came to reach all sorts, and for all of those to taste for a t- to, to give all of those a taste of the life to come when our humanity is finally and completely restored. We get a taste of it now, but one day, someday, we will, we will know fully uh, what it's like to be human uh, when Jesus finally and completely turns that chaos into calm. Let's pray and ask his work in us now uh, toward that end. Our God, uh, we are very, very thankful for um, such a profound text, such a, a dramatic text uh, in which we see really and truly the power of the gospel, both literally and figuratively, uh, changing people in a physical way and in a spiritual way. And we pray, God, that you would, be, uh, that you would do that work in each of us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue that work in each of us that you've begun that you would restore our humanity within us. Father in heaven, by your Spirit's power, would you so work in us, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen.